Today's message is entitled, Is Generosity Attracted or Pursued? We've been in this series here in November about generosity, and as I was pondering this uh, series, you know, it oftentimes we talk about generosity or wealth and so forth, and it kind of gravitates towards material, but the fact is that God's generosity is way beyond that, and I wanted just to go back and, and recapture what I started two weeks ago with Psalm 103, because it really does kind of broaden the idea of generosity, not just related to our material wealth and the things God blesses us with, but it's, it's way much broader than that. And so I want to put that context, even though a lot of what will be shared will relate to how we uh, govern and, and steward that which God has given us materially. But um, generosity is, is way beyond us. So let me just, just read that for you. And again, if this is your first time in, you'll you'll get the benefit and the blessing of God's generosity. I come out of Psalm 103 where he talks about forget not God's benefits and obviously being Thanksgiving week we need to give thanks. He goes on to say that forget not his benefits who forgives all your sins. That's generous of God, isn't it? Who forgives all who rather heals all your diseases. That's generous of God, isn't it? He could have decided that he would heal some and not others. He says all. Who satisfies your desires with good things. It's generous, isn't it? He says, I'm going to satisfy your desires with good things. What a generous God. He renews our strength to accomplish his vision. Sometimes we feel weak. We feel tired. God says, I'm going to renew your strength. That's generous of him. Who works justice for the oppressed. You've ever been impressed in your life, uh, oppressed in your life, either personally or maybe others around you? God says, I'm going to work justice for you. That's generous of him to do that. Says he's slow to anger, abounding in love. Wow, good for him. He says he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Thank God. Wow. He says that he does not repay us according to our iniquities. That means the things that we have inherited through the generations. He doesn't repay us according to those things that pop up. Without limit, he removes our transgressions from us. As far as from the east as from the west, he removes our sins from us. Isn't that amazing? That's generous of God. Wow. I, uh, when I completed my seminary degree, one of the things you do is kind of explain your theology of where, you're, you, know, where you kind of land and so I was, uh, I was talking about trying to describe who I was, and, and I happened to mention that I was a conservative theologian. <laughs> well, my advisor, which is really a, a super, super guy, a gentleman that had been a missionary for many years of his life and came back and taught at the seminary later, suddenly this mild-mannered advisor comes unglued. <laughs> He said, Bobby, he said, there is nothing conservative about the gospel. Jesus is, was never conservative. He is generous. He is a giver. He is very liberal. He said, that is a political term and it's not a theological term. Erase that from your vocabulary. Wow. He didn't, he didn't shout it, okay? He didn't like I did. But I thought, challenge accepted. Why do we call ourselves a conservative theologian? 
That's a political term. It's not a theological term. God's very generous, extremely generous. But do we see him as that? That's the question. Well, that was a wake-up call for me. You know, the title is, is generosity attracted or is it pursued? Let's just compare the two words for a moment. If you're pursuing something, it's not yet, right? If you're pursuing whatever it is, education or a job or, or maybe a, a certain you know, amount in your savings account, it's not yet. But if something's being attracted to you, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. If you're pursuing something, it means you're going to get it. But when something is attracted to you, you know you're going to receive it. If you're pursuing something, that means I'm not satisfied until. But when something is attracted to me, it means I'm already satisfied. I'm just getting some add-ons. Billy quoted from Edgar Allan Poe last week, so I decided to quote from the Declaration of Independence. I hope that's okay. <laughs> says, we have these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What's it saying in this document? It's saying, you're not happy. You need to pursue happiness. Hmm. Interesting. Written in one of the founding documents of our nation. Well, what do we have to learn? I'm going to give you some uh, proverbs, three proverbs, that really begin to untwist this for it and turn, us, turn it around. Proverbs 8.17 reads... I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. And with me are riches, honor, enduring wealth, and prosperity. That's amazing. God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. And by the way, when I get there, you're going to find all these add-ons that I come with. Is that how we think? Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. The reward. Okay, one more. Proverbs 28.14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It's a blessing there. It says that when you fear the Lord, put him first. But if you harden your heart then you're going to fall into calamity. Let's look at a statesman, Abraham, Genesis. Abraham attracted wealth based on God's decision. It wasn't Abraham's decision to get wealthy. It wasn't Abraham's decision to get blessed. It was God's decision. In fact, when he brought him into the promised land, the first thing God told him is this. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Did you hear those words? So that. God never intended that we would build wealth just for ourselves. That we would actually have so much that we then give to others. And in giving to others, we show the generosity of God. 
You know, I'm honestly looking. We have a, we have a, a first fruits fund that we, that we build every year and then we give out of it. And I actually look all through the year. I look for ways to give. I look for ministries to give into that, that God is moving, that directs us to give. And we delight in giving. That's what God has done in our hearts. He's transitioned us uh, from over from getting to giving because he is a generous God. And the more that we give, the more that he gives. And we'll talk about that as we move through. But God's intention is that he be generous with us so that we display to others the generosity of God. But is that how we think? Is that how you and I process? He's got a greater purpose in mind. Bill Johnson was quoted in saying that you can do two things with your money. You can either build a golden calf or transform a city. Choose. Build a golden calf or transform a city. I think I'd rather transform a city. What Abraham did was he refused to allow any association for his wealth except God. He refused to allow any association for his, the, genera, the, the, the wealth that he accumulated as blessings. He said, I will not allow anybody else to take credit for it, not even myself. So we get that story really in Genesis chapter 13. And it starts out that Abraham, God blessed him again. I, I read that. that. That was a promise that the Lord gave him. I'm going to bless you. And so he walked into the promised land. And he had a lot when he came in. And then when he got in, it only increased. And so he got to the place where it was him and his nephew Lot. They had so much the camels were breaking down. I mean, they just could not carry all the stuff that God had blessed them with. And so finally Abraham said, you know what, Lot? You and I have to separate because God's generosity is coming over us so much that we're going to have to live in separate places so the land can handle it. And so he gave Lot a choice. And Lot did a rubberneck tour real quick. He went this way and that way. He said, I'll take the valley. And Abraham didn't go, oh, shucks. I, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Now God can't bless me because i got to go into the desert. That's not what Abraham thought. Abraham said, yeah, you made my choice. I make my choice. I'm going into the desert. And guess what? God's going to bless me because he's promised to bless me even if I'm in the desert. That's not how we think. We think, oh no, i got to go into the desert. There's nothing in there. Nothing grows in the desert. How can I be blessed in the desert? Abraham never had that thought. Because God says, I'm going to bless you. And what happened? He went into the desert and God blessed him. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. Lot, again, he got blessed as well. And then what happens when you get out of focus with your blessings, then people start fighting over it. So in chapter 14, then you have two, uh, actually it was four kings against five. There's tribal warfare going on. And, and two kings against five. And so they start, they start battling it out. And what happens in the battle is they actually capture Lot, his family, and all his possessions. Now whose possessions were those? Were they Lot's? No, they were God's. <laughs> and so Uncle Abraham heard about the fact that God's possessions were possessed that Lot was stewarding. And he's like, oh no, that ain't going to happen. And he picks up 318 of his servants. I mean, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. And they must have been ninja servants. I mean, they were like, let's go. And so they opened up a can of whip tail on these kings and they went in and thrashed them and got all God's stuff back. Amazing. 
Yeah. It's a funny story. So he brought all, the, all back. And on the way, Abraham met two kings. He met the king of Salem. His name was Melchizedek. And he met the king of Sodom. And both of them had different agendas. The king of Sodom, or the king of Salem, Abraham recognized that he was the king of the Most High. In fact, I, I would submit to you, and I won't go into it, that it was actually Jesus that was personified as a king before he came to earth as a baby. And I get that from reading in Hebrews. You don't have to agree with me. That's just kind of where I'm at. But Abraham recognized that he was, he was someone of the Most High because they had communion together and Abraham gave him a tenth of all the stuff. Said, this is yours. You fought the battle for me? 318 ninja servants? We won? Got it all back? Gave him a tenth. Now the king of Sodom, he had a different agenda. He said, Abraham, he said, how about if you take... A, no, how about if, yeah, you take the loot and you give me the people. This is Abram's reply. Again, we'll look at it in Genesis 14, 22 through 24. And this is what Abraham replied to the king of Sodom. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, With raised hands I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. And he names the three guys. Let them have their share. So what's the application for us today? It's simply this. That the king of Sodom represents Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And Abraham knew that it was because of God fighting for them that they were able to get God's possessions back. And he said, God is the one that did it. And I'm not going to take credit for it. And I am not going to let you, king of Sodom, trick me into thinking that you made Abraham rich. See, the king of Sodom represents the flesh. And the flesh says, I can do it. It was because of my wisdom. It was because of my might. I'm the one that was, you know, schooled those guys. I was the one that took it all back. And Abraham said, no, I made an oath of the Lord that he empowered me to do it, but it was all him. Obviously, Abraham had to show up for the battle. And so we can get tricked in the same way that sometimes we can come up with some kinds of great strategies in order to in order to have the blessings of God. And it's really God chasing us. Now, you may ask the question, wow, that was great for Abraham. What about me? I mean, do I qualify? Am I left out of this? What is the deal with this? Well, I've got some good news. Do I qualify? Yes, you do. And here's where it's found. In Galatians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Actually, you can read Romans 4 if you'd like to as well, but that's, I'd rather read a couple of verses in a chapter. Here we go. Galatians 3, 12 through 14. The law is based on faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. 
Here we go. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There it is. Abraham was a blessed man. Do we qualify? Absolutely, through Jesus. That's exactly what he did. And so we have to begin to think that way. <clears throat> but oftentimes, we don't. Number two, God never changed his generous nature towards us. From the old to the new, he doesn't change his generous nature. Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he would change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Those have expected answers. Does he speak and then not act? No. Does he promise and not fulfill? Yes. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, for it, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Isaiah 40, 27 through 30. Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My course is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar like wings on eagles. They will run and not go weary and they will walk and not faint. See, many times what happens is that we get in a situation where, where we're worried and upset. We think God's worried and upset. We th we're broke, but we think God's broke. We think that, that we, we're kind of, you know, building ulcers within us. We think God has ulcers. We're losing strength. We think God's losing strength. That is not the case. God is strong all the time. He has all the wisdom in the world. He's got the intel that would blow any military mind. I mean, he understands, he knows, but do we think that way about him? Sometimes we get in life situations where we superimpose onto God how he is in reality. It's not that way. God's the same. He doesn't change. His generosity hasn't changed as well. And so we have to understand that. God's generosity increases to those who has his heart. If you have the heart of God then you will see his generosity increase over you or he desires to increase over you unless we don't think that way. Genesis 41, 49. This is Joseph. Joseph had a heart after God. He absolutely wanted to please God in everything that he did. And it says that after the famine hit, you know, they stored up so much grain in the good years that they would have for the seven bad years. Here's what it says about the good years. It says in Genesis 41, 49, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Isn't that amazing? I mean, most of the time when we start life or, you know, we get married or whatever, we start a new, we, all, we keep track of things and we record things and we do a budget. What if we would actually go to the place where a budget's not needed? 
What if, it's, what, if, what if we get to the place where Joseph said, man, I tell you what, I, I'm so blessed and so abundant. I, you know, well, we have to deal with the IRS, right? <laughs> They're like, no, you keep record of that because we want our cut. So I'm not against keeping record, but I am stretching you to say that got to the place where they didn't even measure it because it didn't make a difference. Wow, that's not how we think. Psalm 31, 19. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you would bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. This verse indicates that God has things stored up for us. Wow, waiting, stored up, waiting. But we have to understand how to receive it rather than pursue it. Matthew 12, 35. A good king brings good things out of the stored up. Uh, uh, a, good king, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings out evil things stored up in him. So Jesus begins to level out here the fact that we as people of God can actually store up generosity within us to give out. Imagine that. We have reservoirs within us that get stored up uh, based upon what we've been meditating on and what we understand the goodness of God is and how we understand that God is a generous God without finding fault. And then the flip side could happen. He said evil can be stored up and dished out. Sometimes evil can be translated as worthless as well. Like, you know, sugar sticks rather than meat and potatoes. Perception of God. We have these in our, uh, in our life of, of understanding really who God is and who he isn't. See, Abraham had stored up in his heart that God would take care of him even if he moved to the desert. He didn't, he didn't question God's provision, even though he lived in a very dry, arid era, area. Moved there. He knew the blessings would increase. And sometimes we think that because the economy's crashing and this is happening and there, that God can't still bless. That's not how he thinks. So we have to line up with how he thinks rather than how we think. I look at it this way. Uh, picture with me a big giant magnet. You know, it's kind of gray in the back and has the red tips on the end. You got that? You got the picture? Big giant magnet. What happens if you take that magnet and you turn it towards you? What happens? It repels. Things are repelled away because it's turned toward me. What happens if you flip it around and turn it the other way? It attracts. So God says, I want to be generous with you and make sure your magnet is turned the right way because when I'm generous with you, then I, you, will, you will attract my generosity and I want you to flow out my generosity. But if you just turn it towards me and fill yourself up, then it's not going to turn out very well. Again, it's different from how we think and how we're taught to think in this world. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Did you hear the word all in there repeated three times? You will abound in every good work. Now most of us, if I would ask the question, is God able to be generous with me? Most of us would, would probably raise our hand to say, God is able. 
Probably wouldn't be anybody here. Maybe there would be a few that question that. But most people say, is God able to be generous with you? We'd rather, yeah. Here's the question we have. Is God willing? See, we haven't settled that one. We, we, settle, we settle the able and we question the willing. But we got we to gotta get them both equal. He's willing and he's able because he likes you. He really does. He likes you. And we're not convinced yet. Switching mindsets. Number three, switching mindsets to attract the generosity of God. J.B. Phillips translates Matthew 6.33. Set your heart on the kingdom and his goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. Where do we set our hearts? We set our hearts on the king and the kingdom. And all these things will follow us around. Well, that's different from how we think. But that's what the word of God says. We can expect, what's the purpose? So that we can help others see the generosity of God. Not just for ourselves. I understand there's, you know, application steps to all that I'm preaching. But really what I'm hammering on is our mindsets this series. More our mindsets. How we think about God and how we think God thinks about us. And whether or not we actually believe that he's generous or not. Mindsets that need to change. So I'm, I pulled out three here. The first one is this. Relax the pressures off. If we believe that God is generous, if we believe that generosity is attracted toward us, towards us, relax the pressure is off. Is that the way you live? Is that the way the world teaches us to live? Not really. You know, what's the difference between a government handout and a kingdom handout? A government handout, what has happened? We've had a lot of government handouts in the last couple of years. What has it produced in the workforce? Has it produced people saying, thank you, I want to go out and work again? Is that what it's produced? No, the opposite. It's produced people staying home and getting lazy and saying, I'm not going to do that. But in the kingdom, when we know that God is generous with us and we're blessed and we don't deserve it, suddenly there's a whole different mindset of, wow, how can I take this and bless others? How can I use my wisdom and skill and time to be generous with other people because God has blessed me and I didn't deserve it? Over here, the government, we think we deserve it. Over here, the kingdom, we didn't deserve it, but God blessed us anyhow. Hallelujah, I'm going to bless others. That's the difference. And how we should think over how the world thinks. When you understand God's desire and how he wants to bless us, the pressure's off. Let's read this from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 28. It's a, it's a, story, a parable Jesus told comparing the kingdom. He said, what is the kingdom of heaven like? A man scatters seed in the ground, and day and night, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed, the soil, produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. So it's like stages that the man watches it. But it's all he did was put a seed in the ground. And he didn't, he's not fretting, he's not calling in the warfare intercessors to get that seed out of the ground. It just happens. He doesn't even know how. 
He's going about his business, cleaning his house and, and you know, doing, doing whatever business he's in and being with his children. And all of a sudden, this seed comes up and, and then it gets to the stalk and the head and now it's ready for harvest. Hallelujah. Generosity. God says, you know, when you, when you understand how generous I am towards you, then you, the pressure's off. It's really him. We don't get lazy and we don't, we don't cop out and say it's all him and not me. No, we participate. But it's him coming through us. We have to plant the seed. The farmer's clueless how it worked. You know, you start honoring God first in, in your personal life and in your finances and in your wealth and in your, even in your skills. You start honoring God first and say, God, you blessed me with this. How can I bless others? And then suddenly you have more blessing than you know what to do with. How did that happen? I don't know. I just put God first and started doing what he said. And then all of a sudden, as a result of that, more blessings came. Here's another mindset. Seek God's presence, not his prosperity. Seek God's presence, not his prosperity. There's something dangerous that happens when we get our eyes off the Lord and he begins to bless us materially. There's something dangerous that happens that we put our eyes on the reward and it gets off the rewarder. And Jesus said that you can't do both. He said, you're going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon, one of the two. There, I don't know what it is, but he said, you can't put your eyes on the reward and keep it there. You've got to put your eyes on the rewarder and be thankful for the reward. But if we put our eyes on the reward, things will go off really bad, really quick. We'll get stressed. We'll get worried. We'll get anxiety. We'll get ulcers. We'll get questions. That's what happens. But when we keep our eyes on the rewarder, we relax. God, show me what to do. I'll do it. I'll obey. I'll get good counsel. We'll do this thing, God. You know, I mentioned in the first message that um, God gives you enough finances for your assignment. What is your assignment from the Lord? And then assignments change. They do. You know, we've had an assignment to be in this building for, um, we've been here since 2007, and now the Lord says, okay, it's time to establish yourself in another place. Guess what? That's going to take more finances because it's a different assignment. I'm not warning you. I'm saying we're in for a great ride. You know what? You know, I preached that first message on God is generous. You know what happened last week? We had the lowest offering of the year last week. I preach. Now, it wasn't about Billy. Don't you accuse him at all, because not at all. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, when I saw that, I laughed. I thought, that is hilarious. I preached on the generosity of God, and the next week we have the lowest offering of the year. Can we laugh at that? <laughs> that is funny to me. Some of you think, this guy's weird. Really? That's just funny to me that the enemy could think that I could fret. Oh, no, what it's going to be this week. Oh, last week was the lowest. Is it going to go lower? Ha! That's, that cracks me up. Wow. I, that was off script. That wasn't, wasn't in the script, but I, I still think it's funny. All right, I want you to do something. I want everybody to stand up. 
And uh, hopefully you might be able to carry this one out with you. Um, yeah, I, I realize we're, uh, you know, and I want you to turn around too. Uh, stand up, turn around. I'm going to read, read a passage of scripture here. And it's about a river. So I want you to picture yourself being in the river. All right? And I'm going to read this, read this scripture here for you. So everybody stand up. Now I want you to close your eyes and get out your wallet. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding about the wallet. Erase that. I don't know where that came from. All right. So now, here we are. So you're standing up. You're facing the other direction. You're closing your eyes. And I, want, I just want to read these five verses out of Revelation. And just, again, can you put yourself in the moment? Here we go. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Alright, you can open your eyes and turn around and sit down. Now. May I ask you a question? You were in the middle of that river. Which way were you facing? Was the water passing you? In other words, you were looking down river? Or were you looking facing up river and the water was coming towards you? How many were facing down? The water was passing you. Okay. How many were facing up? Water was coming towards you, all right? Probably a little more up than down. Here's my point. My point is that when you're pursuing God's generosity, you're facing and the water is going past you. It's going down. You can't see it. You can't see the generosity. You can't see the blessing because it's already past you. You can run to catch up. You can run in the water. You have your salvation. You can run. Oh, wow, I want that. And you pursue that because it's already past you and you have to run to catch up. Versus if you're turned around and the water is coming towards you, you actually see it coming and you position yourself to say, I'm going to take that. And you position yourself to say, I'm going to take that. And you position yourself to say, I'm going to take that because you see it coming towards you. Everybody's in salvation, but it's which way you're facing. See, we pursue presence, not prosperity. And when we do that, the pressure's off. There you go. Give you some good lunch conversation. See, when you start doubting that God can actually take care of you and invade your circumstances, whatever it is, then you're facing downriver. You need to turn around. Face up. 
two postures in the river. One in position and one chasing. One being attracted and the other pursuing. Here's the next mindset, the final one, and that is connecting interaction between the visible and the invisible realm. There's something that happens in the visible, there's something that happens in the invisible. And we have to understand the combination and the exchange between the two. How many of you have ever driven a car like uh, didn't have power steering in it? <laughs> Old truck or something. Pretty rough, isn't it? You're like, Arr! and then all of a sudden the introduction of power steering. It's like, woo, that's nice. You're still steering either way, but it takes a lot more effort when you don't have power steering than when you do. And when you've got power steering and it's working well, it's really easy. And without that power steering unit that you can't see, it's invisible. But yet you know it's working and you know when it's not. So self-effort happens when the power steering is cut off. It's on, God's flowing. Pretty cool. Two scriptures here. Luke 10. Luke 16, 10 through 13. Here we go. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you've not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, the visible, who will trust you with true riches, the invisible? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? cannot serve two masters. And then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What is that? The visible. That is that which God has provided. We bring it into the storehouse. He says, bring the whole storehouse, uh, tithe into the storehouse, and there will be food in my house. What is that? Again, it's visible. And he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Invisible. We don't know what's happening, but we did the visible. The invisible starts to get enacted, and then what happens? And I will pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. It becomes visible again. So we understand how God works. There's a part that we do and a part his, He does, and we have to understand the difference. And we try to do His part, it doesn't end up well. When we expect Him to do our part, that doesn't end up well. When we do our part and he does his part, he does the invisible, brings it into the visible. We do the visible and brings it into the visible, invisible. You get the point. <laughs> That's how it works. Number four, wrap this thing up, land this plane. As we seek God and his ways, generosity follows us around. The last verse in Psalm 23, let me give it to you. Last verse in Psalm 23, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that amazing? It says that God's goodness is going to pursue me. So I'm not pursuing it. It's pursuing me. Is that how you think? That's how God is. That's a nice ring. Ah, people on the line like, what's going on? Somebody's phone had a nice ring to it. All right, here we go. Pursue his presence, not his prosperity. I said that, just a reminder. Number two, don't con we don't convince God. He's trying to convince us. 
And I, that's, that's the problem I have with the name and claimant doctrine. It feels like well, we're trying to convince God that he's going to need to be good to us. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> no, no, God's trying to convince us. We don't need to convince him. Yet sometimes we get that mixed around. And then finally, increase happens through intimacy, not through activity. A couple wants to have a child. They don't mow the lawn together and go out to eat together and clean the house together. No. They have intimate times together, and that brings the increase. So if we need increase in our lives, we need to increase our intimacy with God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He's got the plan. He's got the best intel in the world. In case you didn't know that. He's amazing. He loves to be generous with us because that's the nature of who he is. And so as we enter into this Thanksgiving time, let us recognize that God is a generous God. He's trying to convince us how generous he is. And we're the ones that are trying to get it figured out. Three mindset checks. Number one, do you feel the pressure to perform to gain God's goodness? Do you feel the pressure to perform to gain God's goodness? The farmer just sowed the seed and the pressure was off. Maybe you need prayer today to say, I want to walk differently in how I think. Number two, is your focus on presence or prosperity? See, if you're trying to pursue prosperity, then you're going to include worry and anxiety and am I there yet? And when am I going to get there? And disappointment, all that stuff is going to accumulate in your life when you're pursuing prosperity. But when you pursue presence, you're like, ha, God. Man, I am blessed just the way I am. I'm blessed to know you. I'm blessed as your child. I, am, I, am, I know who I am in Christ. I am blessed. And, and all, all of a sudden, all these add-ons come and start sticking around me. I'm like, what is that? Is that how you think? Number three, are you aware of the interchange between the visible and the indivisible? In order, in order for the invisible to get... Uh, uh, I say triggered. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word or not. But in order for the, the uh, invisible to, to really, uh, for God to, to release, there's something visible has to happen. Whether it's obedience or whether it's, uh, you know, a gift or whether it's uh, something that he's asking us to do. And then, wow, where'd that come from? It's just God. And enemy just wants to mess us all up in our understanding of this thing and and I hope that today it, uh, maybe a couple of uh, things became a little more clear about how generous God is towards us. It's not something we pursue. It's something that's actually attracted to us because we're Jesus followers. Amazing. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to get into your word and examine it in a way that is uh, obviously so foreign to how the world thinks. Yet so much of how we uh, have been brought into this world, God, we, we uh, have adopted that kind of thinking. And Lord, I pray that today it's brought so much cloudedness and, and so much contention at times, God. I pray that you would just begin to, to weed out that which needs to be taken out, God. If we're operating under pressure. We need to just, like the farmer, plant the seed and say, God, you're going to do it. Show me what to do. But not walk in pressure. Walk in hope. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we have been looking downriver and seeing, seeing things pass us and having to pursue those things rather than turn around and get in position to receive. God, show us where we're doing that, that we've just stepped and we're looking the wrong direction. 
May we keep our eyes on you, God. And Lord, let us understand this whole dynamic of the visible and the invisible. How that works, Lord. And show us, Lord, where we need to start. Sometimes it's very simple. It's very small. And then it grows into something big. That's usually how you operate. Something small. Something simple. But then it grows over time into something big. So Lord, show us where we're at. So that we can be the people that you've called us to be in the day and time in which we live. That that we can, our lives and our church can display the generosity of God to our friends and neighbors and this community. That we can look for ways to be generous because you've blessed us so much. Well, may we be truly grateful this Thanksgiving for your goodness over our lives in Jesus' name.